Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to Q&A. I'm Jay Nordlinger. And this episode is brought to you by Tommy John and X-Chair. I'll have more to say about our excellent sponsors later in the show. Our guest today is John Bolton, John R. Bolton, the national security veteran. He has been the U.S. ambassador to the United Nations and the national security advisor to the president. He writes regularly for a variety of publications. His latest book is The Room Where It Happened. Often, Ambassador Bolton and I talk about a range of issues, hopscotching around the world. Last September, however, we talked about just one issue, a big one, Afghanistan. Today, we will talk about Ukraine. Good morning, John Bolton. Good morning, Jay. Glad to be with you. Is it serious? Russian troops massing on the Ukrainian border, threatening? Is it serious or just kind of playtime? No, I think it's very serious. And in fact, I think it has more to do with the Ukraine, although that's where the uh, troops are, are stationed at the moment. Uh, I, I think what we're dealing with here is a uh, comprehensive strategy that Vladimir Putin has put into place to deal with what I call the gray zone of countries that have been left stranded, in effect, between uh, what is constructively NATO's eastern border on the one hand and Russia's western border on the other. And there are six countries in this gray zone. Ukraine is the biggest and the most important, but I would group it with Belarus and Moldova. Uh, and then uh, nearby down in the Caucasus, uh, Georgia, Armenia, and Azerbaijan are the other three caught between NATO and Russia. The five Central Asian former Soviet republics have their own troubles with Russia. I, I put them in a separate category because they're so detached from NATO. But what happened uh, after the collapse of the Soviet Union and the Warsaw Pact was that NATO expanded, uh, took in a lot of countries, including Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania, former Soviet republics. But it left another of, a number of others, six uh, in, in the ones I've described, stranded. Uh, and in a gray zone, a zone of ambiguity that uh, that Putin is now trying to exploit. And uh, so part of this is a failure of Western decision-making, failure to think through what, what our uh, plan for NATO was. Uh, the, the biggest uh, part of the problem is Russia's uh, hegemonic aspirations to, uh, to, to do what uh, Putin foreshadowed back in 2005 when he said in a speech to the Russian Duma 
the breakup of the Soviet Union was the greatest geopolitical catastrophe of the 20th century. And most of us think it was a pretty good way to end the 20th century. That's obviously not Putin's view. That's what he's acting on now. We're, we're talking about Ukraine, but it's part of a bigger picture. You often hear, I've heard this for most of my life, you have too, you hear it from Westerners, don't poke the bear, just don't poke the bear. Putin, the Kremlin have a certain sphere of influence, give it to them. Now, usually these guys don't put it so bluntly, but that's the nub of it. What do you say to that? Uh, I, I say the U.S. determines what its national interests are and uh, doesn't concede a sphere of influence to anybody. But speaking of bears, uh, th those people who take the line you've described, and I've spoken with them too, we, we know who they are, ought to watch again the uh, uh, Ronald Reagan commercial from 1984 called The Bear in the Woods, where it starts off with a bear kind of clomping through a stream saying, some people don't think there is a bear in the woods. And it goes on like that. And at the end, the bear confronts a man with a rifle and the bear takes a step back. One of the best commercials ever made for politics. And what it shows is uh, the bear uh, recognizing resoluteness uh, isn't going to have an encounter that it can't possibly win. The issue here is what, for example, the people of Ukraine want to do. Does anybody consult them or just say, well, no. the Russian want a no. sphere of influence in Ukraine? I guess we got to give it to them. How about our sphere of influence in Canada? Canadians should do what we tell them to do, right? I mean, this is this is so should Mexicans, yeah. yeah. And and you you know you can you can you can extend this uh, in in a lot of different contexts. The people of Ukraine received independence at the end of 1991. And they have acted on that. They, they have made their share of mistakes. There is no doubt about it. But by and large, they want to remain independent. So when we see, as Putin just said a few days ago, uh, that he wants a commitment from NATO, it will not admit Ukraine as a member. Uh, th that is way beyond any legitimate interest that Russia has as a bordering country. Of course, they've got legitimate border interests, just as we do with Canada and Mexico, trade issues. Sure, all that sort of stuff. But, but we don't determine Canada's foreign policy much as much as some people would like to do that or Mexico's. Uh, and in uh, free societies, you work it out. And that's what Vladimir Putin hasn't learned yet. Ladies and gentlemen, we're talking with John Bolton. I'm Jay Nordlinger doing Q&A. Back after this word from Tommy John. Stuck on what to give your friends and family this year? Wish them a merry softness and a happy new rear with new comfy underwear, loungewear, and pajamas from Tommy John. When your loved ones start their day wearing Tommy John, they're that much more comfortable so they can do everything better. The luxuriously soft tri-blend and micromodal fabrics of Tommy John loungewear mean four-way stretch and no lint balls or fuzz. With over 17 million pairs sold, Giving the gift of Tommy John underwear and loungewear has become a holiday tradition for families across the country. 97% of women and men love getting a gift from Tommy John. And that's why Tommy John doesn't have customers. They have fanatics. Now, underwear may be a slightly uncomfortable subject to discuss, but comfortable underwear is something everyone can agree on. You'll want it. Returns and exchanges are free, and it's all backed by Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or it's free guarantee. 
get 20% off your first order right now at tommyjohn.com slash QA. That's tommyjohn.com slash QA for 20% off. Order now so your gifts arrive before the holidays. tommyjohn.com slash QA. See site for details. Welcome back, everyone, to Q&A. I'm Jay Nordlinger, speaking with Ambassador John Bolton about Ukraine. Um, John, let me give you some things that I hear uh, from people in our orbit and others. Uh, we, the United States, the Obama administration, engineered a coup in Ukraine in 2014. Yanukovych was legitimately and democratically elected, and we overthrew him. And the blood of that Maidan revolution is on our hands. So look, we interfered in Ukraine in 2014. We have no right, no standing to tell Russia not to interfere now. And because of what we did in fomenting this revolution or coup, Putin annexed Crimea and invaded Ukraine. Speak to that, if you don't mind. You know, if, if the United States, let's say since 1945, was responsible for as many coup d'etat as we are accused of uh, engaging in, uh, we'd already have an empire that would extend worldwide. I mean, I appreciate people giving us all that credit, but it's just simply not true. And Ukraine is, uh, uh, is a perfect example of it. That the people could see that Yanukovych was determined to move toward Russia. They felt that he had engaged in any number of unconstitutional practices. The integrity of the election was called into question. They went into the streets uh, and Yanukovych fled to Russia. Uh, th this is a, uh, it's a, it's not a constitutional way of proceeding. Uh, it is true that the American ambassador had the temerity to go down to the Maidan and, and, and meet with the protesters. Uh, uh, but she did it in full public view. Her, her views were quite well known at the time. Uh, so I, I think that this is a, uh, uh, a rationalization uh, that could have been written in the halls of the Kremlin about what caused the events that led to Yanukovych's uh, overthrow. Uh, the, 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 there's no argument that government in Ukraine since independence has been less than perfect. Let's, let's concede that. But it does have democratic legitimacy. And most recently, it elected a president who committed to, to, uh, to eliminate the corruption that's been rife in the country. He's, he's had mixed success. That's also true. But the notion that somehow the people of Ukraine have no agency at all, they're just manipulated by us or manipulated by Russia, just, just ignorant peasants out there that somebody's going to rule and, and, uh, and tell them what to do is, is contrary to the facts and uh, contrary to the reality of modern-day Ukraine. John Bolton, um, does Crimea legitimately belong to Russia? You know, what happened when the Soviet Union broke up, I was in the Bush 41 administration at the time. We watched this with... Uh, uh, with uh, the greatest kind of scrutiny because the way this breakup was going to take place would have enormous ramifications in Europe and around the world. And the terms of the breakup were very clear that the Union republics would become independent states with the uh, external borders that they had had as internal borders in the Soviet Union, period, close quote. That was the deal. Now, that included for Ukraine the Crimea which everybody knew at the time 
uh, and had been the case for decades, had uh, longstanding Soviet uh, military positions, particularly naval facilities. Uh, and that, that independence for Ukraine didn't mean we were going to suddenly turn the entire uh, Soviet Navy over to Ukraine. Uh, a lot of steps were taken to uh, to try and regularize the, the incredible historical event that uh, I mentioned Putin doesn't like very much of the breakup of the Soviet Union. Nuclear weapons were returned to Russia. Uh, they didn't become Ukrainian simply because the territory became Ukrainian. Uh, many of these issues were complicated, there's no doubt about it. But here's the, here's the critical point. Once you create the borders, uh, as, the, as the government of, the, of the, uh, the, the breaking up Soviet Union did, once Yeltsin essentially released all the rest of the republics as he took over the Russian Federation, uh, uh, they became part of the European system, which since 1945 has said for everybody in it very clearly, there will be no changes in borders that are not mutually agreed to. There will be no changes in borders accomplished by military force. Now, if it had been a concern for Yeltsin and the Russians at the time to say, well, that, you know, we'll agree to everything except Crimea. We want that to come to Russia. That would have been one thing. It could have been confronted at the time and decided. But the decision was no change in borders because they feared once you start, that process will never stop. And what was critical was to dissolve the Soviet Union, which they did successfully. Uh, this is uh, so we now have the phenomenon that in uh, 2008, in, in August of 2008, Russia acted first to change borders by, in effect, seizing two provinces of Georgia, Abkhazia and South Ossetia, which remained garrisoned by Russian forces. And then uh, six years later, by seizing the Crimea, and shortly after that, by inserting uh, Russian irregular forces into eastern Ukraine, the so-called Donbass, perhaps leading to another territorial uh, modification. But there are a lot of things a lot of people could say, a lot, of, a lot of the different parts of the former Soviet Union. But the terms of the breakup were clear, they were clearly understood, and they were particularly clearly understood in Moscow, which, which let it happen peacefully. I mean, this is Boris Yeltsin's greatest contribution to history that, that he permitted that to happen. Um, so for Putin unilaterally, through the use of military force, trumped up referenda, a whole range of propaganda devices to say, I am upsetting the settlement of December 31, 1991, means every former constituent part of the Soviet Union is at risk. Uh, and for those who say, well, I, this really belongs to that, uh, that's an interesting theory. You're not writing on a blank sheet of paper. And Putin knew he wasn't. He went ahead and did it, and he got away with it. John Bolton, you often hear that uh, people in eastern Ukraine feel sympathetic to Russia. They may feel themselves Russian or want to be with Russia. People in the West are different. They're more um, Europe-minded. Uh, maybe Ukraine is too big. Maybe it ought to be split. What say you? You know... Maybe we just ought to have all of Western Canada. It's been a long time. I just think uh, the people there are different. We can give British Columbia, we can leave that with Canada. The Plains provinces of Canada belong to us. Those people think like us, let's just take it. It's the same logic. Uh, if the people of Ukraine themselves, through referenda, through elections of their parliament or president, if they decide they wanna split, 
that's up to them. Czechoslovakia split uh, and became uh, Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Slovak Republic and the Czech Republic. These things can happen. Britain declared independence from the European Union. They did it peacefully through a referendum. Uh, and if these differences between Eastern Ukrainians and Western Ukrainians are so great because of language or culture or background or whatever it might be, it's for them to resolve. It is not for Russian troops and the threat of Russian force to resolve it for them. That's what's illegitimate here. John, it, it has seemed to me for some years, I've often puzzled over this, that Ukraine ought to be a, a nationalist cause around the world, or Ukraine ought to be dear to the hearts of nationalists, because here are national aspirations. Ukrainians live in the shadow of an empire-minded behemoth. Uh, Ukraine ought to be right up nationalist alley, but I find that it is not, which is curious. I wonder if you've observed the same thing. Well, I think there may be two answers to that. Part, part of the problem is too, too many people, for some reason, have this affinity for Russian nationalism and too bad for the little countries uh, on, on their borders. Uh, you know, the fact is you can be nationalistic uh, even if you're not part of the ethnic majority in your country. Uh, I, ha I have to believe that's true. Otherwise, the United States is in big trouble. Mm -hmm. and, and, and in fact, there are some people who I think are a lot less nationalistic in the United States precisely because they don't like the amalgamation that we've formed, this melting pot, which is imperfect, but more successful than any than any other political entity in history, far better than the Romans, who did extend their uh, citizenship status to many people, but, but couldn't hold their empire together. I think the second reason is, unfortunately, Ukraine is near the European Union, where many of the, the top leaders and philosophers of European Union, uh, uh, ever closer union, as they call it, are anti-nationalists themselves. Mm. And so seeing nationalism, even within the union, in Poland, in, in, in other countries, uh, they don't rush to, to embrace it. Ukrainians overwhelmingly, whatever their views about uh, Russia, uh, I think are clearly interested in participating in the European Union, but it's the European Union that's been holding them off. That attitude in Europe really needs to change. And I think it's gonna require some American leadership. I don't see it being, uh, uh, demonstrated right now, but this this is a, it's a question not only that involves the European Union, fundamentally involves NATO. This ultimately is a security question for us, and and uh, very much in the U.S. interest to make sure that it's not resolved unilaterally by the use of Russian military force. 
Ladies and gentlemen, we are listening to John Bolton. I am Jay Nordlinger doing Q&A. Back after this word from our sponsor, X-Chair. It's the holidays and you deserve a gift. How about a gift that keeps on giving comfort and satisfaction every day, all year long? A gift that looks as good as it feels and one that may well make you more productive at work. I'm talking about giving yourself the gift of an X-Chair, a product I know firsthand. It's an impressively comfortable and ergonomic chair, not to mention a very cool looking piece of furniture. That counts too, you know. With its patented Elamax technology, X-Chair doubles as a massage chair. Also, it can cool or warm your back as needed. That's what you would call a super chair. Now may well be the perfect time to buy an X-Chair. Buy early, buy now. And here's X-Chair's holiday gift to you. Save $100 off your X-Chair just by purchasing it at xchairqa.com now. That's the letter X, chair, qa.com. X-Chair has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort, and you can finance your purchase for as little as $30 a month. Go to xchairqa.com and save xchairqa.com. Welcome back, everyone, to Q&A. Jane Nordlinger talking with John Bolton, who has spent a long time in the national security field. He is a lawyer, has held positions in the State Department, been our ambassador to the UN, national security advisor in the White House, and so on. His most recent book is The Room Where It Happened. John, uh, brass tax, or rather further brass tax. What should the United States be doing right now? We can talk about NATO or the democratic world more broadly, but if, if you would, start with Washington. Start with the, the administration, the US government. What should the United States be doing? What can it do to deter? Well, uh, as I've just written in the 1945.com website, we, we need to do the work that we failed to do as NATO began its Eastern expansion process uh, after the Cold War. Uh, we, we, we did it with a view that democratic societies that wanted to come in, we would admit. And we didn't think through fully the consequences of leaving a gap, this gray zone I referred to earlier. We closed right up to the Russian border uh, when we admitted Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania. Uh, Poland borders on Russia because of the Kaliningrad exclave. Uh, but we left these countries, uh, many of which had NATO aspirations, out in the cold, as it were. Uh, George W. Bush proposed in April of 2008 that Ukraine and Georgia be brought on a fast track to NATO membership. And I don't think it's accidental that those are the two countries where we've seen Russian troops cross international borders that the, we were all agreed they shouldn't cross. So the first thing that, that Washington needs to decide is uh, how far it's prepared to see uh, any of these six countries brought into the NATO context. Uh, and whether even though they're not NATO members now, and there are some difficult issues that have to be resolved perhaps before they become full NATO members, nonetheless, we're going to tell the Russians that it's not simply unacceptable for them to use military force to resolve their differences, but we're going to make it so expensive for them 
that they dare not try it. Uh, there are other things. It's not just a, a, a Ukraine, a Georgia issue. Moldova has a strange little thing called the Transnistria Republic, which yes. is, is nothing but some excess Russian forces. That needs to be resolved. Moldova needs to be reunited. We need to focus on Belarus, where uh, the, the government there uh, is, does, does nothing that we find acceptable, but every time we impose more sanctions on Belarus because of the government's human rights violations, we push uh, Alexander Lukashenko, the dictator, closer to inviting the Russians in and inviting them in on a permanent basis. So I don't, I don't mind sanctioning Lukashenko, but we need a strategy there too. People of Ukraine, uh, people of Belarus, I think, want a representative government they're not able to get it on their own. What are we going to do to help them? So I think uh, more uh, specifically, more military assistance to Ukraine is warranted. Uh, and I think we ought to consider more NATO forces inside Ukraine, not based there permanently, but rotating through, doing exercises, working with the Ukraine military, very close to the Russian border. The Russians want to risk uh, igniting a broader conflict. Uh, they need to be told that and told clearly. I think they will back down. But if we're not careful, we are potentially days away from another Russian military exercise that will result effectively in the partition of Ukraine along the lines that some of the people we've talked about before mm -hmm. wouldn't mind seeing. And once they start doing that, the, the less and if they get away with it with minimal sanctions, which I'm afraid might be the outcome, the lesson is clear uh, for all the rest of the former uh, Soviet republics, that uh, their day may come next. And when you, if we have a, an aggressive Soviet action with a weak American and NATO response, and in this case, we are NATO, it will be our decision. A weak NATO response here in connection with Ukraine, combined with the recent American withdrawal from Afghanistan, I think will have catastrophic consequences for the credibility of the United States around the world. People will say they have lost their resolve. And if they won't uh, uh, protect what they've done in Afghanistan, if they won't protect uh, Ukraine on the continent of Europe from military aggression, looks a lot like marching into the Sudetenland in 1938, I must say. The Americans won't stop that. What, what will they do with us in our time of trouble? It's a terrible lesson if this happens. Yes, indeed. I think of the phrase spillover effect. And if I were a Balt, <clears throat> excuse me, if I were a Balt, not to mention a Ukrainian, I would be very nervous indeed. I'd be nervous if I were Taiwanese. Um, some people spy a connection between the Ukrainian case and the Taiwanese case. There are similarities, aren't there, John? Yeah, look, uh one thing we've seen that, that I think everybody would agree is undesirable in the past 10 years or so is the growing closeness of Russia and China, uh, growing coordination, military maneuvers uh, in the Far East, uh, joint naval exercises in the Eastern Mediterranean, for goodness sake. That's a long way from East Asia for the Chinese. I think it's a big mistake for the Russians to get closer to the Chinese. I think ultimately they will be the junior partner. Uh, I've made that point to Russians. I have not convinced anybody that I can discern. Uh, but the possibility of coordination between Moscow and Beijing, as China looks at Taiwan and wonders what America's resolve is there under the Biden administration, ties directly, I think, in their 
planning and expectations for what Putin's doing in Eastern Europe and the former Soviet Union. You know, the, the, uh, we, we, we hear from a lot of people, from the administration, even from some on our side of the picture, we've got to focus on the Pacific, we've got to focus on mm. China, we've got to reduce all these secondary priorities. As if things weren't connected. Look, it's just completely wrong. Every time, every time we, we look like we're leaving a region, take the Middle East as one example, the Chinese presence increases and, and the fear of those who are in the Middle East leads them to hedge their bets that maybe they better cozy up to China a little bit more because the United States looks like it's pulling out. It's a big world. We have responsibilities and interest around the world. We have to act that way. And I just want to make one quick point on your reference to the Baltics. Uh, the, the thing that has kept uh, aggression there confined to cyberspace. And we, we've been attacked in cyberspace by the Russians too. But the thing that's kept the Baltics free of Russian troops, uh, unlike the Ukraine, is that they are NATO members. The Russians have never crossed a NATO border. And that's, that's why this gray zone that we left is so troubling. Because if there were a clear border, there wouldn't be any ambiguity. And the choice and therefore the cost for the Russians of the use of military force would be much clearer. So we, we are, by, by inattention, uh, a contributor to this uh, anomalous gray zone, the ambiguity that exists there, and therefore, in the minds of the Russians, uh, that presents them with an opportunity. I think you need to eliminate the gray. I think I would make the same point with respect to Taiwan. Many have said, and I think correctly, the, the age of strategic ambiguity uh, is over. I think our commitment to defend Taiwan should be made clear because if we're not willing to defend it, uh, the, 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 the rest of the people there are going to have to make up their minds what they're going to do. I, 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 I would really worry that the world would see this across the board as return to isolationism from a liberal democratic administration. Some in the Republican Party would be a huge mistake. John, on this issue of Russia and China, and their uh, budding partnership. This may be a small thing, but I noticed it. There's a magazine called The National Interest, and it published an article jointly written by the Russian and Chinese ambassadors to the United States. And they decried the upcoming US-led democracy summit. And I thought, how interesting. In one article, could this be a glimpse of the future? Russia and China joined arguing against the democracies? Look, uh, I think it's clearly what China is saying. I think there are plenty in Russia who agree with it, who feel put upon by the West as a whole. Uh, you know, we can go back and review uh, mistakes that the U.S. may have made uh, after the breakup of the Soviet Union. Uh, that, that would take us a long time. We are where we are now. I, I would like to find ways to split Russia from China. Uh, uh, as I say, I've explained to the Russians, I think this is not in their long-term interest. You have a huge country with a huge population and inadequate natural resources in China and a large country with a very sparse population, particularly east of the Urals uh, and a lot of natural resources. How long do you think Far Eastern Russia is going to be Russian and not Chinese under those circumstances? By the end of this century, it could look very different. Uh, but it's hard, it's hard to make that split because much of what the Russians want, we're not prepared to give. But that's why you've got to think globally and strategically about this. Uh, these are not disconnected. Uh, and, uh, and we have friends on both sides of that huge landmass uh, that Russia and China control. 
uh, and the, the 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 steps that they take, the steps we allow, the steps that uh, we fail to deter, uh, are, are seen by others on a global basis, even if within our own government, they don't have the wit to get it. John, here at the end, um, I wonder if you'd say a word about Trump in Ukraine and Biden in Ukraine. Trump's attitude to Ukraine and Biden's. Trump, you worked for. Uh, Biden, we have both observed since our student days. He was elected to the Senate in 1972 at the age of 29, turned 30 before he was sworn in. Talk, if you would, about these two men, these presidents and Ukraine. Well, Trump, uh couldn't have cared less about Ukraine uh, other than uh, this miasma of the Hunter Biden, the Democratic National Committee server, the efforts to uh, steal the election from him in 2016 and, and uh, uh, the Russia collusion allegations. He saw it as something he wanted to get political benefit out of, uh, which is why he was prepared to engage in extortion with uh, security assistance that uh, Congress had authorized. Uh, he no more had an idea of what the appropriate American strategy uh, toward Ukraine should be than the chairs were sitting in. Uh, and Putin understood that problem that Trump had across the board, and it's why he thought he could get away with uh, a lot of activity, and I think would have gotten away with a lot of activity like that in the second Trump term. Biden, on the other hand, has spent, as you point out, the, uh, the last half century in the Senate uh, focusing on uh, foreign and uh, defense policy. It's one of his great areas of expertise, so, so he has long said. Uh, and yet uh, Robert Gates, the former Secretary of Defense, famously said in his memoir, Biden's been wrong on every significant issue internationally for the last 40 years. So, so we've, we've, we've switched from a president who's incompetent, not fit to be president, didn't understand what decisions, uh, he, the consequences of decisions he was making to a president who thinks he understands it and always gets it wrong. So we're, we're having a, an eight year succession here of bad news for the United States for very different reasons, but both in their separate ways have given our adversaries encouragement to believe they could pursue their objectives without major fear of uh, American resistance. John, here at the end in our last couple of minutes, Thank you, by the way, for visiting with us. Um, give us something, maybe a little synopsis. And why does Ukraine matter? Why should an American, a person, God knows the Ukrainians ought to care about Ukraine. But what about other people? What does Ukraine matter right now in the big picture? Well, look, the, the, the world and world history didn't end with the fall of the Soviet Union. You know, we've, uh, we've heard people say that, uh, that, that with the end of communism, that really uh, there's, there's no good reason why the world can't be governed by a, 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 a system of international norms and uh, uh, you have a rules-based international system and everything's fine, really. What could go wrong? We don't live in a rules-based international order. I personally doubt we ever will, uh, at least in, in a, a future that stretches centuries out. Ukraine is part of the West. Uh, it wants to be part of the West. We should want it to be part of the West. It's in our interest not to have 
countries that see things in, in broad philosophical terms the way we do be made victims of military aggression. Uh, the, the, the world is still in a very confused and anarchic state. And this, this, this country, this, uh, this enormously important country uh, with a potentially huge contribution to the world economy and, and the world as a whole, caught between the West represented by NATO uh, and I'll say the past, the 19th century, represented by the authoritarian rulers of Russia. They're not asking for anything other than be able to govern themselves. And if their ability to do that in Ukraine is compromised, it can seep over into NATO and, and uh, Western Europe as well. And its ramifications in the Indo-Pacific, I think, are enormous. Uh, the world's a connected place. The idea that uh, we can just retreat behind our two oceans and say, uh, uh, let them worry about it there, we don't have an interest in it, has been wrong for roughly 150 years, if not more. Uh, the United States, in many ways, has always been a global power. Even when we were 13 countries strung along, uh, 13, 13 colonies strung along the East Coast, you know, right after the Treaty of Versailles in 1783, merchants in New York sent out a vessel called the Empress of China, uh, the first American trade with China. We, we were a global power from the beginning, and we built an empire, and we've kept it because it's an empire of freedom, uh, as, as Jefferson said. Uh, and, and this process is simply continuing now. The Ukrainians are not asking for anything other than the right to govern themselves. Uh, and that is something that, if they can have, has a direct adverse impact on uh, Europe uh, and, and, and on the United States. That's what our interest is. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Jay Nordlinger doing Q&A, whose producer is Madeline Osborne. Our sponsors today are Tommy John and X-Chair. We have heard from John Bolton, John R. Bolton. Ambassador, thanks a million, and talk to you soon. Glad to be with you. So long, everyone.